Dennis Sarfate making his first appearance. What will you do to defend the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Welcome to the Green Dragon Tavern, where we talk a little treason. I'm Zach Lautenschlager. And I'm Nathan Barnes, filling in for Dennis Sarfate. Joining us today is uh, John Root, friend of the podcast and regular contributor at The Sentinel. John, welcome. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me, boys. So, uh, Megan, Megan Rapino is not very popular again. <laughs> I uh, chuckle a little bit. You know, you read through and go, oh, the Olympics said don't come back, but we really like you. That's, that's classic. Yeah, she's not the, she's definitely not the most liked athlete. I think she might be my least favorite athlete of all time. And I think that's saying a lot. And, more I mean, than LeBron. Thing, wow. <laughs> Yeah, definitely more than LeBron. Uh, I mean, LeBron's had – he's a very, very close second. So I actually put a Twitter poll together months ago and said, who's your least favorite athlete? And there was a good amount of people that said LeBron and Rapino. But the crazy part is, like, people are just – she keeps getting more politically active, more and more. So just you know. people mm-hmm. – and then I know we're going to get into the, the details of, of the match against Sweden, them getting knocked out in the round of 16. People were rooting for her to miss – like people yeah. were talking about me included that we don't think it's unpatriotic to root against this team. And it's not all about Rapino, but Rapino was the captain of the woke. So she was leading the charge and yep. it's crazy to see a team that could potentially three peat for the world cup being rooted against by their own countrymen. It's disturbing. It's a problem. This is, you know, and, and in one way at least. And I'm glad that the American people can look at that and go, yeah, there's a problem here. There are multiple problems here, not the least of which is that Rapino is apparently just a, a mean-spirited person. Um, she, at least she is cultivating that aura, that persona. Mm-hmm. She doesn't care. Um, and, you know, of course, the right is all ablaze this week about, look how she doesn't even look at her fan when she signs the, you know, signs the soccer ball for the kid. And, yeah, okay, I look at that and go, all right, that was, maybe she was distracted or something. But it yeah, keeps happening. Deal. It keeps happening again and again and again, where she just comes off as she, she really doesn't like Americans. Um, did you notice that um, she was laughing as they were losing and smiling and laughing? And when asked about it, she said, well, it... It just adds up almost as if, yeah, it's the fans' fault. It's the fans' fault. That's why we're losing. And when she said it was just kind of like, it was just cruel. It's almost just like a lot of people like me believe it was poetic justice. Like (laughs) she knows exactly what people are saying. Uh And, and I know like that's what kind of gets me irked a little bit with the conversation uh, at times when like conservatives start running rampant with uh, a talking point. Like, I don't think the main focus, and not saying that you guys are doing this, but like, I played sports for so long. And if I like, if I'm playing basketball and I'm just like, I can't catch a break shooting, I'm just going to start laughing. Like, I just, I can't believe mm-hmm. this is going on. Um, yeah. And that sometimes right. you just kind of need to do that. Uh, yeah. But the big thing, I think, uh, Carly Lloyd, who was on uh, that gold medal World Cup team previously, and then now she was a broadcaster for Fox. She was calling them out for the laughing and joking after they tied Portugal in the group mm-hmm. stage heading to the round of 16. That's the stuff we can focus on from the athletic perspective because it doesn't seem like they're taking it serious. They seem like, ah, yep. we've won the last two, uh, whatever. Thank God that ball hit the post and then we're not 
going to be watching the rest of the elimination stage from home because fact of the matter is they're they're acting like they're hot shots but they're not playing like it they're trying to talk this talk but they're not walking the walk it's the kind of thing with richard sherman people watching the old legion of boom from the seattle seahawks he talked a lot of crap but he backed it up all the time so when you have a team that uh, barely made it out of the group stage and didn't win a group skate group stage for the first time in 12 years you got to start buckling down a little bit and figure out all right are we going to even make it past the round of 16 and there's a mm-hmm. reason they didn't i don't think they took it as serious yeah absolutely you know and you also look back at at the history of her comments uh, on social issues and political issues you know she she called the overturn of roe v wade a violent onslaught on the autonomy of women's bodies um you know n- never mind the fact that what we're really talking about here is the murder of innocent children uh she was more concerned about you know the the autonomy of women's bodies uh, and that's just one of one thing of of many many uh in the course of you know her career in just the way that she has come out vocally opposing everything that uh everything that christians stand for nathan she doesn't even know what a woman is i mean <laughs> well that's right follow up that She's fighting for men to compete in women's sports. Yep. So you right. just ask Megan. It's like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. You, you can't tell us that um, what what a woman is, but you're going to say that Roe v. Wade was an onslaught on on women's bodies, and that's why, like, for her, the whole equal pay nonsense too. Yeah. It's always been against men versus women, but they mm-hmm. eat their own when they end up fighting for the transgender nonsense. So Megan Rapino, Sue Bird, and 40 other, and the Sue Bird uh, WNBA player, I'm pretty sure now retired, uh, that's Megan Rapino's wife. So obviously you know where she falls on the political spectrum uh, with homosexuality, the whole LGBTQ community, mm-hmm. but her, Sue, Bur- Sue Bird, and 40 other biological women were trying to push back against the legislation to stop men from competing in in women's sports. I mean, it's, it's asinine what we're seeing from her. And there's a reason why people are like, I'm sick and tired of this. You can't say Mm -hmm. this is going to be your last world cup. You're going to retire. And then now that you've retired, you're totally fine with men competing in women's sports. She doesn't realize that that would be the end of women's sports. It's nonsensical. It's disingenuous at best. (laughs) Yes, it is. It's another example of leftist activists not really caring about what they blow up, mm-hmm. what they destroy, whether or not this or that social institution or important structure uh, yeah. in a culture uh, survive or, or die. The important thing is that we used it as a blunt uh, object to bludgeon people into our perspective. No one cares that Megan Rapino. I mean, no one's going to listen to Megan Rapino because she's a lesbian. No one's going to listen to Megan Rapino because she speaks in public. Honestly, she sounds a little bit like a greater blade being drug across pavement. It's that pleasant, right? People listen because she plays soccer, mm-hmm. um, but she doesn't care about women's soccer. Clearly, she cares about the other stuff. Um, and, and that's disturbing. That's, there's something wrong with that. It's like watching um, someone steal their company blind. And then yeah. I know I shared this on uh, the website too, wrote an article, just did some commentary about why America was rooting against this women's national team was Alex Morgan as well. Alex Morgan is the mm-hmm. second most popular or most well-known athlete on the team. 
and she's pushed BLM so much. She's pushed this equal pay nonsense. And the kicker was she tried saying, I don't want to play, and I don't think that women should play football, European football, American soccer in Texas at all, because they're trying to put together some legislation that luckily just got signed by Governor Greg Abbott. I know my good friend Riley Gaines was there um, signing this to say, no, we are going to protect women's sports. And Mm -hmm. Alex Morgan is trying to say, oh, we shouldn't even play there because they're not all for this transgender stuff. People hate this. The transgender stuff is killing sports. It is killing Mm -hmm. uh, the Democrat Party. And I think I hope that's something that people continue to realize that this isn't just a conservative versus liberal thing. There's so many people in the middle, middle right, middle left that are going to say, I'm sick and tired of them trying to tell us that they don't know what a woman is, that they want my little kid to be playing with a biological male where they could potentially get injured. Like this kind of stuff doesn't make sense. And they don't run a route for people that push this kind of rhetoric and this kind of nonsense. You know, there's also the the aspect, the entire aspect of the dressing room, right? And that's something mm-hmm. Gaines recently pointed yeah. out and, and said, look, when when you have a biological male in the women's room and he is not just flashing his genitals, right? I mean, it's it's all there. That's a problem. And it's a problem for grown women. And it, it should be recognized as a problem. And it's a problem mm-hmm. for uh, girls who are playing sports and are forced to do that as well. And um, it was the, the left immediately responds, well, maybe it's a good thing for uh, little girls to have to see full-grown male genitalia because, um, because homosexuals, because transgenders, because this is appropriate. That well, and there's was... a reason that like bisexuality is skyrocketing, homosexuality is skyrocketing, mm-hmm. because you're indoctrinating these kids into believing that you need to explore your sexuality. That yeah. basically, too, like this in any other time of our lives, these men would be arrested. This would be indecent yep. exposure. And also, too, exactly. I, I'm so glad that Riley Gaines and so many others speak on the mental aspect of this. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you talk about, you know, women that have been through a sexual abuse or they've been in situations uh, where men have totally taken advantage um, of them. Now you got little kids that uh, are now being exposed to, like, Parents are taking mm-hmm. them to pride parades. You could be going into a locker room and your kid has no idea what any of this stuff means. There was a viral TikTok about this uh, this parent uh, that said, hey, my wife took, I think, a couple of my kids to a doctor's appointment and was asking him, you know, uh, so what's your gender? Are you male, female, non-binary, gender fluid? And he was pissed and he said the only good thing was the fact that my wife was there and I wasn't because this doctor might be six feet under. I, he didn't say the six feet under thing, but you could get where he was coming from. Like, yeah, why in the world are you bringing this up to these kids? But also you have these grown women where this kind of stuff, it's going to affect them for potentially their entire lifetime. You don't see stuff like this where it's supposed to be a pro- mm-hmm. protected space and then you get exposed to it and it, it just it just ruins you. It, it probably could ruin... Um, the sexual encounters you have with your husband, uh, mm-hmm. in the, in the future and, you know, getting married, like just because we want to be tolerant and the NCAA is allowing this kind of stuff, it hurts the individual woman. It hurts yep. her sex life in the future. It's so sad to see. You raise a very important point. Um, it is not just about sexual penetration, you know, to put it bluntly, 
Um, mm-hmm. I have close uh, relatives who, when she was a child, one in particular when she was a child, she suffered an exposure incident, and it, it affects her to this day. Mm-hmm. It affects her to this day. Yep. Um, that's what we're talking about. And we're glibly saying that, well, that's a good thing. That's a positive thing. Um, now they're supposed to have been removed. Uh, and the professor that made them is being blackballed and, and Google's making it hard to find um, because it's ahead of the curve, right? And that's the problem. These people actually do apparently think this. John, something mm-hmm. that comes up a lot and that many of our, our viewers and listeners will be thinking about is what about the pledge? What about kneeling for the pledge? Mm-hmm. And, you know, Rapino's longstanding perspective on that question. Obviously, that comes up this week as, as she's mm-hmm. top of the fold. What has your perspective been? And this is something that I, I could go <laughs> look up and haven't yet. Uh, so I'll ask now. What is your perspective on that issue? You know, especially on sports teams requiring um, players to either stand or, or, or not. Well, the thing was too, people have to remember with Colin Kaepernick that, that started this whole thing. Um, it, it's disrespectful, it's wrong, and it should never be happening. Sports are supposed to be unifying. And then if you're going to make a political statement, especially all these political statements are based on absolute nonsense. Colin Kaepernick knelt for a man that had already stabbed people in San Francisco and then was wielding uh, a large knife and refused to give up uh, with police and had to be taken down. Like tried to say this whole unarmed black man situation, it's false. And then that's what made him kneel. But in general, it's just like, I, I really fall in the line of, there's people that died for this flag that you could even have the ability to kneel and disrespect it. Uh, and at the same time, too, the NFL changed their their laws, basically, their their rules about this to accommodate people like Colin Kaepernick and others. You know, this whole mm-hmm. racial division is is nonsensical. And if you're going to use the time that's supposed to be unifying, standing up for a flag, the freest, most prosper, prosperous, least racist country in the world and the history of the world. It's nonsense. And I know something, too, when the U.S. Soccer Federation tried to get the the women to stand up, say, hey, we're not doing this anymore. Megan Rapinoe, stop. Uh, what mm-hmm. they ended up saying, I'll, I'll just read this verbatim. I know this was in the article as well. Uh, we believe the Federation should immediately repeal the anthem policy, publish a statement acknowledging the policy was wrong when it was adopted, and issue an apology to our black players and supporters. Remember, Megan Rapinoe was someone that kneeled while she had a black teammate that stood up. You're going to see that photo. Just Google it. It, It's right there. And further, we believe the Federation should lay out its plans on how it will now support the message and movement that it tried to silence four years ago. And then it goes on uh, saying that misconceptions and fear that clouded the true meaning and significance of Colin Kaepernick, Megan Rapinoe, and athletes taking a knee that black people in America have not been and continue to be afforded the same liberties and freedoms as white people and that police brutality and systemic racism exist in this country. That's what the U.S. women's national team said in a letter to the U.S. Soccer Federation. And if you're still wondering why people were rooting against this team, yeah, just read that. And that's there's yep. no reason anybody should be kneeling. That's why I think we need to praise people like Julie Ertz is a is a great player on the women's national team, very patriotic. She was one of three that actually sang the anthem when we had that video going viral. Mm-hmm. And then also um, you have people like Jonathan Isaac in the NBA 
he's got a brand new clothing company that he launched to that people should support. He's trying to create some of this alternate economy that uh, so many people are starting to buy into. And he stood for the anthem in the NBA bubble, uh, black man, strong mm-hmm. Christian black man that stood and said, hey, this is nonsense. I love this country and I will stand for the flag. So we should start uh, highlighting more people that stand and make courageous stands while other people decide to call this country terrible things. Well, you make really good points um, across the board and one that I want to highlight and I agree with um, as much as the others, but that I suppose I've been thinking about is the the complexity of recognizing that the the pledge is a voluntary thing and that we definitely mm-hmm. do not want government mandating that some in someone either say it or not say it. Mm-hmm. And so there's a little bit of an, a, a libertarian allergy whenever anyone is, said, is told, well, you have to do X, Y, or Z as regards the pledge. First of all, you should recognize this is not the government, okay? These are, these are private associations for the most part. Now, we can talk about government control and, and we should have less of that. Um, but that's where this is going. That's what this is. But I think so. I have I have some friends who refuse to say the pledge because they believe it is an act of statism. I vehemently disagree. Um, I believe that whether or not you're going to say it, if you're an American, you owe allegiance to your country. You do as a Christian. You do biblically, and you do as a citizen. Yeah. Um, and if you're not willing to articulate that, um, you, there's a problem. Now we can talk about some of the other problems, and that's fine. I have mm-hmm. friends who will do everything except indivisible, right? They don't want to say indivisible because they would say, mm-hmm. well, there's a right to secede. Okay, fine. Um, that's not what that meant. It's not what, what Je- it's not what Washington meant when he said it's an indissoluble bond. Yep. But okay, that's fine. But that's not really what we're talking about. What we're really talking about here is someone looking at, our, at, at something going on in the country, looking at someone that they don't like. And let's say that they're protesting a legitimate act of racism because it's still, those, those still do exist, although it's not nearly yeah, as of course. general, That's right? I know you agree. But let's say that we're actually talking about something reasonable. Would it, in that case, would it be okay to say, hey, I don't like what someone in America is doing. I don't like what a minor official in America is doing. And therefore, I'm mm-hmm. going to choose the national symbol that represents everybody and all of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to disrespect that. That's going to be my way of protesting a limited action. Yeah. Well, it's divisive and, and, too, because that's the time where we actually all come together at a sporting event. You got right. people that root for this team. You got people to root for that team. Yep. And then during the anthem, that is the one time where we're unified as Americans and it divided us and yep. it divided us on things that were absolutely nonsensical police brutality that like there are terrible things that happen. Yes, there is still police brutality out there but trying to say that this is rooted in systemic racism and that you have just white cops hunting black people like Laughable. this is nonsense that, that's some of the stuff that lebron was saying that black people that yeah. once you leave your doorstep you're being hunted and the worst part too is you have a very left-wing sports media that won't fight back against this they're basically right. s- sports media cnn i mean they are msnbc they're all left wing like the vast majority of them, I know Clay Travis covers that in his book, Republicans by Sneakers, too. It would be fascinating if people started to realize, hmm, do you wonder why these stories continue just to run rampant? And then why there seems to be so much support of this, of Rapino, of Kaepernick, of these other woke players? It's because 
you have the sports media doing the work for them. But in general, like, again, it was just divisive. It's, it sucks. And it gets to yeah. a point where you see that and you're like, I don't even want to watch this game anymore. I watch sports yeah. all the time. And during 2020, especially, I was like, I'm right. done. I turned off the TV a yeah. few times. I'm like, I, I'm, uh-huh. I'm just not even going to support this. This, this is done. Yep. Yeah. Well, and you ask the question, why, why are all these Marxists being divisive? Why is it that is when you see this level of divisiveness, you scratch the surface and there's a Marxist? It should it should lead to a few questions. Exactly. Well, and, People and have I think no idea what that is though. <laughs> I think that's, well, that's let's spell it out. Right, that's part of the problem. Cultural Marxism says divide everybody into their own in their own bucket, and then you can mm-hmm. control them. And you right? can pit them against and each I, other. I appreciate that. Right, I appreciate that, yep. John. That's a good point. Yep. Maybe it's not as obvious as, as I think it is. Like with us, we're we're gonna know what that means. Like, yeah, totally on point. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. But people out there are like Marxism. I I don't know. What, um, like, are you talking about but, marksmen or or something? Right. Like, right. People, oh, people just oh, don't know. Yeah, the big hairy Santa Claus fellow who wants to give people <laughs> stuff. <laughs> yeah, and I I think a lot of people don't understand that there is there's economic Marxism and and, and the classical you know Marxism uh, as as outlined by Karl Marx, uh, but that's not what we're talking about. Although that is an aspect yeah. of it, what we're talking about here is is cultural Marxism, uh, where like as Zach mentioned. Marxism at its core is about pitting one group of people against another people, group of people in order for you to be able to control them. Uh, and so cultural Marxism, there's an economic aspect to it, but it's it's all about instead of, um, you know, as, as was done in Russia during the you know, early years of, of Karl Marx, we're not talking about pitting the, the proletariat versus the bourgeoisie, um, the, the rich versus the poor. The way it's been, uh, the way it's been accomplished here in in America, yes, rich versus poor, but black versus white, uh, you know, this demographic versus that demographic, all of these other um, ways to pit groups of people against each other, and, and that's that's what we're seeing. Yeah, and that's what's crazy now is you have athletes that are making millions of dollars, and also athletes like uh, the women's national soccer team. Mm-hmm. They're from a percentage of the pool of money, they are making a larger percentage than the men. I know that's something that Will Kane covered. I put that in my yep. article as well. You know, it's always about division. It's always mm-hmm. about like, oh no, like they're trying to get the patriarchy back. And you know, when we had the patriarchy, that's when we had slavery. And that's when we had women's uh, not having the right to vote. And that's when, you know, everybody wasn't equal so it it starts to be like okay we as women need to fight against the men but at the same time we're going to allow the patriarchy to take over our sports for our children so i mean all these things but people start buying into this because they're like yeah like i want to be loving i want to be accepting and that's Mm -hmm. obviously a redefinition uh of terms and then you'll see now so much with this megan rapino and the u.s women's national team they're like, yeah, Republicans and conservatives just pounce on uh, rooting against the United States team. It's just like, start looking at why people don't like these players and don't like these teams and why they tuned out of sports. That's why the mm-hmm. NFL kind of changed up their rhetoric a little bit. They said, we're not going to be pushing this stuff anymore. I know they still have like end racism in the end zone, but like they didn't have any more of these presentations and this posturing to BLM and these places that frankly just turned off the vast majority of their fan base and it wasn't good economically. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you see, you know, talking about the, the their fan base and, and their market um, not agreeing with their position. I mean, another great example of that, as we've seen recently, is Anheuser-Busch and, and the whole Dylan Mulvaney uh, just debacle. Um, I don't know if you guys saw it, just, uh, just came out within the last couple of days that uh, Anheuser-Busch is actually having to sell off uh, a large number of their uh, of their beer brands because they have lost $27 billion <laughs> in market value. Um, so they're selling off a bunch See, of new beer brands. Yeah. My regret is it wasn't making bad beer that made them sell. <laughs> <laughs> I remember several of those breweries yep. when they were small, when they were microbreweries before they were bought up. And there was, I used to go to Breckenridge and drink Breckenridge Brewery. And it was mm-hmm. great until InBev bought them. And then ugh, it got really bad really fast. So exactly. I'm pleased. Maybe, maybe I can drink Breckenridge beer again <laughs> <laughs> but that goes to show too like there's there's power with the people uh That's and right. like when people decide hey we don't want to watch these teams anymore we don't want to support this nonsense we just want to watch sports um, yep. i know there was uh kenny main he used to work for espn he used to be one of my favorite sports center anchors and he was trying to say that basically republicans and conservatives uh, were the people that didn't want Jackie Robinson to start working his way into uh, the league. They were the ones that were fighting about back uh, against like Billy Jean King and like all, all these things were just like, this is nonsensical. Do you know who actually helped free slaves? It was Christians and Republicans, you know, who wanted to keep people enslaved and keep segregation going Democrats and Democrats are the people that are running sports media right now we root against these people because they're rooted against our country and they're trying to uproot our country's amazing values so these people are just they they refuse to get it it's not mm-hmm. it's not a hey like i kind of know but i got to stay on this side i think these people are just unbelievably delusional that they think oh man this is just like them trying to end bud light we try to end Bud Light because Bud Light is trying to end one of the things that we should be conserving is, right. is marriage as God uh, intended it, as biological sex as God made it, created it perfect. We mm. will fight back against that stuff. And anybody that tries to push this nonsense, especially when it starts uh, affecting children, we're not going to root for it. It's crazy. Well, it's really exciting. You already mentioned the uh, growth of uh, alternate alternative marketplaces, if you will, or however you want to see it. Everyone to say it. Uh, the one of the most exciting things to come from the government overreaction to COVID is the growth of alternative structures. Mm-hmm. Um, and as soon as hospitals started forcing. Um, outrageous, requiring outrageous restrictions on both patients and on providers. As soon as banks started saying, we're going to publish gun purchases, we're going to cut off, we're just going to delete your account if we don't like your political perspective. Um, Several of us looked around and said, hey, that's actually a really good thing. It's about time these guys actually put their their secret shadow at policies out in public where we can all see it, because this will encourage the free market to create uh, new free structures. And as long as we have some shred of a free market, and look, I recognize, I um, talked to my grandpa before he passed about what life was like when he was a child. I can read. So I do understand 
the um, you know the the amount of freedom that we have lost, but it is still remarkable just how well the free market works, even when it's partially crippled, even when parts of it have been destroyed. <laughs> now you can see that two years later, three years later, there are alternative alternatives just about everything, and uh, I really look forward to the next five years to seeing where that grows. Absolutely, and and I think you know here at at the Sentinel. Um, we're, we're excited to be a part of that uh, when it comes to the, the news and in the media uh, that you consume. And, and so that's why we are doing what we're doing. We want to be able to to bring you straightforward, honest reporting on, on issues that are important to you, um, issues that, that you care about or you should care about, um, those things that impact your lives. And uh, but we want to do so with um, you know, with being very clear about where we're coming from in terms of worldview, in terms of perspective. Uh, we're not going to try to pretend neutral, uh, that we're neutrals or that we don't have a position, uh, but we're going to tell the truth. Um, and so we're also not going to, you know, be um, lying about the position of those that, uh, that those, those that are in opposition to the things that we're supporting. To continue the same self-promotion, which was excellent, Nathan. Thank you for working that in. Absolutely. Um, I want to encourage everybody, if you haven't seen uh, John's commentary on why America celebrated the women's soccer, or the women's national soccer team's loss, check it out at uh, republicsentinel.com. Uh, it's an excellent piece. And John, I always appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for making this show relevant to sports when Dennis isn't here, because it's... It's not going to happen f coming from me. <laughs> Appreciate you, brother. Appreciate your work. Nathan actually can can keep up with you guys. I'm like, um, can you remind me which sport we're talking about? <laughs> uh. it, it's my pleasure. I can talk about sports all day long. When my when my girlfriend tries to shut me up about sports, I'll just jump on here when Dennis is gone, and I'll say, all right, I'll talk. I'll talk to Zach and Nathan about it. I won't talk to you, Rob. <laughs> we, we we should have well, you and, really and, and Dennis on together to do a a, a sports uh, segment. Oh my gosh! That, yeah, that if, if you guys are ready for it to get spicy, I think you put Dennis and I and <laughs> in the same in the same call. Let's do it. All right. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Since since uh, you know Hoifong Foods is run out of peppers and you can't buy real sriracha anymore, you can get your fix for spiciness here with uh with dennis and john and uh, we just lost john he has no idea what i'm talking about i that's that's a food geek reference <laughs> yeah that was, uh, i was not picking up what you're putting down there i was, <laughs> I was like i'm, I'm uh, following along this trail i don't know right and all of a sudden where did this go <laughs> have you tracked mm. that and this is completely unrelated but i th find it fascinating that uh the there is a company that makes a spicy sauce that's available um if you go to walmart you go do you eat pho are you a pho lover? I haven't had I haven't had it in a long time. Uh, so Missing there's out. a sauce that you put in pho, um, and it is it has become an underground sensation over the last decade. This this gentleman from uh, the I believe he is um, the founder ethnic, of sriracha. Yes, he's ethnic Vietnamese. Went moved to China and then immigrated to the states. Started making uh, their traditional sauce. Mm -hmm. It's called the sriracha. Nobody knew what it was. He made a little bit of it each year in his garage, and it got bigger and bigger. And after like 20 years, he is making um, – their, their, their plant covers acres of fermenting sauce. If you go to Walmart, you used to be able to find it. It was everywhere. It wasn't advertised. It's a tremendous free market example. Well, this year the pepper harvest is bad in California, and now you're going to pay $200 a bottle. 
for this particular hot sauce because it is, is so oh, no. limited with a huge demand. So yeah, it is. It's I hadn't else. seen that. That's horrific. <laughs> yeah. I have a I, supply my, in my basement. My food budget something. is about to take a major hit. <laughs> John. Well, I think when, when they make spicy foods, they don't think of white people like me. I feel like the last time I had something really <laughs> spicy, my, my eyebrows burned off and I just, I can't do it anymore. Oh no, you're one of those white people. <laughs> I can't do I can't do the spice. So just like give me give me the mild stuff. I, I right, make right. That, I always make that joke. Every time I go out there, it's like <laughs> you have to know. Like I know it's twenty twenty three, you can't say this stuff, but I'll say it for you, like to the waiter or the waitress. I'm too white for that. Thank you. Thank you though. <laughs> do you have white white people level spicy for this? I mean, I know there's a number score, but see I, something I, below I, zero. I grew up in a family where it was manly to eat. Um, manly to eat spicy stuff. And I remember as a kid, it was like, oh, this is so hot. I'm going to eat it anyway because dad likes it. And so there's an element to that too. But I've gotten to where I really love it, good spicy food. So my wife and I joke about uh, how bad white people actually do eat, <laughs> how much better it is when we check out what, uh, what the other people are eating. It is really good. Yep. John, thanks for taking time today. We really appreciate it. Uh, obviously, welcome here anytime. Thank you so much. Appreciate you guys. Thanks, John. All right. Let's see you around. Bye. Oh, that was fun. So, <laughs> it always is. I'll, always enjoy American having John credit card. <laughs> Yes, indeed. American credit card debt has crossed $1 trillion for the first time. That is a nearly Crazy. incomprehensible number. When you're talking about the conglomerate or the aggregate of individual budgets and then the debt that is owed uh, on those budgets basically from them that is um, that is a warning sign you look at that and you go oh i guess we're not quite out of the woods yet on the economy and you know what's crazy zach if you you look at that as a percentage of gdp um yeah. we're in 2021 i was just looking this up because i wanted to have a a, a good um, some accurate numbers here, but this is, uh, according to Google in 2021, us GDP was 23.3 trillion. So we're talking about credit card debt being over a trillion dollars, one twenty-third of the entire GDP. That's an, an astronomically high number. It's a problem when you don't make stuff that people mm -hmm. want to buy. And when you don't provide services that people want to pay for. Um, yep. And so if you look at what happened to the American economy before the government overreaction to COVID, um, there are slowly growing problems of not making stuff and not providing services. Um, and obviously the economy became more of a service-based and ideologically or, or knowledge-based economy in America. That's not necessarily a bad thing, although it is less diverse, and so it has its problems. But there is a brick wall coming, <laughs> you know, coming up in American history as you look through it and you get to about June of 2020. Um, mm -hmm. You can kind of, you know, there's a little bit of a shift there. There's, a, there's certainly a, a little bit of a spread, but you're going to hit a brick wall when suddenly no one is making stuff. And even worse, no one is providing services anymore. Um, yep. And this knowledge-based economy suddenly just stops and the government, uh, under both Republicans and Democrats, the federal government starts paying people to not provide goods and services. As soon as that happens, everyone can look around and go, oh boy, there is trouble coming. 
we are going to suffer for that. There is going to be inflation. There is going to be uh, an increase in prices that maybe is not even inflation-based. Um, there are going to be rough spots ahead. And this is going to dig problems out of the cellar, you know, where we have our, mm-hmm. our economic skeletons buried um, over the last, from problems over the last hundred years in the way we've done things and we've allowed the federal government to mess with our currency and our monetary policy and our, 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 um, our um, credit abroad. That's all going to be dug up. A bunch of that's going to come to the surface. And that yep. is exactly what's going on. Um, this is not my um, Rush Limbaugh in, in impersonation. I'm not going to say I told you so, but <laughs> I told you so. <laughs> now, look, I'm not, and, I, and that's, that's in jest. I obviously wasn't doing this show then, um, but we had many conversations. Mm-hmm. I sat down with my kids. We talked about it a lot. We talked about it in public. Um, that's what happens when you don't care to make stuff or provide services. And, you know, the fun thing about all this, and I am an irrepressible optimist sometimes, foolishly so, um, but I look at this and, I, and, and my kids and I sit and we talk about it and say, do you see the opportunities that are growing right now? They're out there yep. right now. If you want to make stuff and provide services, mm-hmm. you have a better opportunity now than you have had in past. When people stop doing it, guess what? People still need those things. Exactly. And so you have less competition and more opportunity. All you have to do is get out there and be creative about it and stop hoping that someone else Mm -hmm. is going to come along and create a job that I can just do and then go home and and put my feet up. Okay? That's the trade-off. When you have an economy where you have a lot of, of things produced, where you have a lot of people providing goods and services, um, you have a lot more opportunities to just do a job. You can work for someone else, and there's nothing wrong with that. That is an excellent calling in life, and when it is available, there is nothing wrong. Some people are better suited to that because it is needed. God creates people who do that. Some people are better suited to being more entrepreneurial, and God creates people who will do that. Um, and in America, we have a long-standing tradition, so to speak, of uh, a free market and lots of opportunities for people to build and grow and sustain. And so you have lots of opportunities to work for other people. Um, and that's the kind of thing that we as Americans are kind of used to that. We're kind of used to that um, setup. Uh, that has gone away to some degree. And you have to be a little bit more creative sometimes in order to provide for yourself and provide for your family in this economy. That's a change that it's important to recognize. It's important to look and see and go, okay, um, there may not be as many jobs out there that I can just go and get. Maybe I need to create my own. You need to be willing to do that. And there are many of us that can do both, and many of us have done both, right? Um, But then you can also look at it and say, okay, but there are also opportunities to be creative in that subordinate role, to do my job really well, and to fill that space with my effort in the direction that my employer desires or that my investors desire. And so there, there will always be both sides of that coin. Very few people actually just go out and say, ah, I'm going to bootstrap this up from the very beginning, and I don't care who I'm working for. Well, guess what? You're still going to have to have clients, and you're still going to have to have customers. So you're going to have to care what they want and care what they think. If you don't have clients and customers, then you probably have a boss, and you're going to have to care what he or she thinks. Mm-hmm. And that's just the reality. And so the more we can recognize that, look, um, you study history, and you will, especially financial or economic history, you're going to come away recognizing 
that more fortunes are made when times are rough than not in many cases. Now, that's not always true, but there are many, many, many fortunes that are made when things turn down. And that is not just because mm -hmm. someone is exploiting something. Oh, sure, there are fortunes made exploitively uh, all the time. That's true. Um, but that is not true about every fortune. That is a Marxist lie. Yep. Many, many fortunes are made by providing something that someone else, that a lot of other people need, and doing so at a, at a competitive and fair market price. So the opportunities exactly. are great. And this symptom of uh, greater debt, uh, it's another fault line, another shock that says, ooh, look out, we're not done yet. Um, <laughs> thank you, uh, Joe Biden, uh, but um, it's not over yet. Yeah, absolutely. And you start looking at things like, you know, the, the current situation that we're in where inflation hit a 40-year high last year uh, at over 9%. Um, you know, you, even though the Biden administration keeps trying to claim that, uh, you know, things are better than they were before, um, you know, the study's been done, uh, Heritage uh, did a study where they uh, talked about how the average American family is effectively over 7000 nearly $7,500 poorer um, under Biden. Uh, That's a than, shocking than amount of previously. money when you think about what the median income yeah. is for that. That's probably based on a $40,000, $50,000 a year Mm -hmm. um, median income. That's a lot of money. Yep. That is a huge That's percentage a huge of income. Percentage. Now, I'm not saying, I'm looking at the article now to see if I can find if they said that. I don't know that they did. Um, but do the math. If the average American family is $7,400 poorer, the average yeah. American family makes between 40 and 50 right mm -hmm. now. That's, that's a massive that is not amount good. of money. Yeah, that is not good. Yeah, and, and uh, there was another study from Heritage that came out earlier this year where they they basically said that the latest inflation data is a reminder why the debt ceiling fight matters. This is back, you know, prior to the the debt ceiling, but they were talking about um, the consumer price index rose uh, 0.4% in April and 4.9% over the last 12 months, uh, which was more than wow. twice, more than double the Federal Reserve's 2% target. Um, and that since wow. Biden took office, the, the CPI had risen over 15%. So the consumer price index, just uh, to to make sure uh, everyone's you know following along here, uh, consumer price index is a a method of measuring the cost of of goods uh, for uh, you know for, for consumption. Uh, and so to see a fifteen percent increase in the consumer price index means, on average, that things are costing fifteen percent more uh, than they did prior to Biden taking office. And I want to correct what I said. Um, back of my mind was, I think median is 30, and I thought, that is just too low. There is no way. Nope, median income is 31. $31,000 is your median. And, and that's the latest numbers t tabulated, and it's popped up by Google. Hmm. Um, but that comes from census numbers. That's from 2019. Wow. So not even including the last. Right. It hadn't gotten better. Yep. <laughs> hadn't gotten better. Hasn't. Now you can you have to factor inflation, et cetera, but yeah, you're still talking. I guarantee it's not over forty for this mm -hmm. for currently. Seventy five hundred dollars. Now that's not annual. That's over a couple of years um, since Biden took office. That's over three years, but that's still that hurts. Yep. When you that's ten percent of your income a oh, year over year. That's, that's crazy. That's a lot of money. Nearly. 10%. Here's here's a, a quote from that article. Uh, since Biden took office, the average family has seen its weekly income rise by $200, nearly 10%, but prices have risen more than 15% in that same time. Consequently, the family's larger income buys $100 less in real terms. 
Additionally, trillions of dollars in government borrowing have driven up interest rates, which has increased borrowing costs for families on everything from mortgages to auto loans to credit cards. This additional cost is a further burden on average families who have effectively lost $7,100 in purchasing power since Biden took office. So there's there's the, yep, the full quote in context. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Well, and you have to look around and recognize that it's never quite as simple as you think. But it's also never quite as complicated as the fact checkers want to claim it is, right? They're always, well, that's not exactly true. He didn't pick his nose with his right hand. It was the left. And there's the, there's the fact check for the day. Um, but you, <laughs> if you dig in a little bit, you come away seeing, uh. okay, all right, it's actually, you have multiple um, elements acting on each other, but it's actually mm -hmm. not that complicated. Yeah. You know what else isn't complicated? Earning American trust. It's hmm. really not that complicated. It's yep. something that um, people who are willing to be honest and live their lives as much as they live their public lives in public and the things that deal that affect the public trust to deal with those things publicly. Hmm. Um, that's something that even for all its faults and failures, the leadership of the U.S. military succeeded in doing for the last 40 to 50 years, for sure. Um, you certainly have a strong start to that period. If you go back a little bit further, uh, in World War II, you have mm -hmm. high trust in the military, and then you have some problems and hiccups during Vietnam, specifically, largely because of the way the political leadership led the military and the way you, that... Unfortunately, um, Eisenhower and Kennedy and Johnson and Nixon all were not really honest about the military conflict of the day. Um, yep. And at first, you can look at Eisenhower and you can look at Kennedy even and say, okay, I can understand some of the compensation here. There were national um, uh, national interests, there was national security, and there were there were some things that were necessarily uh, needed to be national secrets. But by the time you get to Johnson, that is no longer true. It is not even close to true. It is purely political, and they are lying to the American people about sending um, their sons to die for purely political reasons, to protect their own ability to get reelected. Now, it's not the, I'm not saying that Kennedy mm -hmm. didn't do that. He did. I'm not saying that Eisenhower didn't do that. He did. Let's just be honest. Every president has had some problem with that, okay? Um, yeah. And yes, I'm ev I will even stand up, I will back that uh, statement, even about Washington. Go mm -hmm. check out the Whiskey Rebellion. Go check out uh, some of the other uh, problems and the way those yep. were dealt with, okay? But when you look at the difference between even Kennedy, who had his problems, and Johnson, it is shocking. Shocking mm -hmm. the difference. And the biggest problem that you see again and again is that the leadership, uh, political leadership, and that is both military and civilian, uh, political leadership of the military, um, the more they're willing to deal with their problems in public, the more trust there is. You don't have to have no problems. No one yep. actually expects the human beings involved in the military to be perfect. But we do expect a process that is both constitutional and has integrity. Well, exactly. that long and illustrious run of the U.S. military being the most trusted entity um, among Americans, and we're talking more than the church, and we're talking on the other end of the spectrum from Congress, right? 
just in general, if you look at the way it's worked generally since World War II with the interesting, uh, not really anomaly, but the change in Vietnam, um, that's what you see. Well, uh, the trust in the military is rapidly declining, unfortunately, because probably you look at that and you go, okay, where are some places where we didn't have integrity? How about the Afghanistan withdrawal? How about mm, the Afghanistan mm -hmm. withdrawal? And you look at that and you go, I don't know that I have seen this in my lifetime. I have watched what this looks like when we left Vietnam. Yeah. When you have the last helicopter <laughs> leaving Saigon. That's what it felt like. To look at that and go, oh my goodness. That mm -hmm. was slightly before my time, only a few years before I was born, obviously about a decade before I was politically conscious, um, and or a little more. And yet that is so close to my lifetime and obviously overlaps the lifetime of a lot of Americans that there is there are definite similarities there. So, okay, you, we have to recognize the Afghanistan withdrawal is part of the problem. And why was that a problem? Because we did not follow just war theory. It's well established. If you are in a place, do not make it worse by leaving. Mm -hmm. It is one of the primary pillars of how to prosecute a just war, regardless of how you got there, regardless of whether or not you should have got, uh, entered. And I'm not gonna debate one way or the other about Afghanistan, I have my opinions that ultimately, while there were some problems getting in there, um, there were reasons to be there. But regardless of where you are on that question, leaving must be done in such a way that you don't make it worse. And yep. we made it worse, period. Yep. Period. Um, then you also have the woke problem. And those two things are connected. I think we left Afghanistan poorly because we were much more interested in facing what the military says is one of the primary threats, global warming. Global warming is why we have a U.S. military, according to the political leadership of the U.S. military. Um, oh, and there's also um, transgenderism. That's a major issue facing the U.S. military. The military is there mm -hmm. to eradicate global warming and, trans and, and transphobia. That's what the military is for. We've talked about that before a little bit. You come yeah. away going, are we going to use the F-16s? I mean, when do we stop start bombing Christians? Uh, I know that, I, I hope we're not saying that. I hope you're not saying that, um, mm -hmm. Joe Biden. I hope this is not what Miley and, and the other turkeys running the military say are saying. But you come away wondering if that's really what we're talking about. Uh, yeah, go when ahead. You start looking, Zach, uh, as you mentioned, in confidence and in the U.S. military. Um, you know, the, the Gallup poll that was just released, uh, the latest numbers uh, from 2023 uh, survey, U.S. confidence in the military is at its lowest point since 1997. 60%, only 60% of, the, of the, uh, those polled said that they uh, were confident in the U.S. military. Um, last time it was this low, it was 1997. Um, it actually hasn't been lower than 60% since 1988, um, where it was only 58% uh, of, the, of the American public um, you know, had confidence in the U.S. military. There it has been a long-standing effort to win respect for our war fighters, whether or not you agree with the way that they are used politically. And there has mm -hmm. been an effort to divide the, the, the duties between the political, or I should say the civilian leadership, and the military leadership. And some of that is good and some of it is not. Obviously, it has its limitations. You can't say, but I was just following orders. You still yeah. are responsible to uh, protect the constitutional rights of, the, of military servicemen and women. 
and you have that responsibility, especially as a military serviceman or woman. Why? Mm -hmm. Because you took an oath to do so. That is what it means. There is uh, out of that effort, and and perhaps it's been it's been um, uh, promulgated independently of the effort to you know have some dichotomy between military service and political service. Um, is this effort to say that well you give up your rights when you join the military? Well, okay, there are some things sense, that you do give up. Yes, there are some things that you give up. That's not so very different from any other job. There, yeah. every job you take, you are voluntarily giving something up, mm-hmm. right? My right to date whomever I please was given up once I picked one person and asked her to marry me. Um, that is when I gave that up, and I did so voluntarily. Does that mean that every human doesn't have it? No, quite the opposite. You have the right mm-hmm. to, to within the bounds of morality, um, check out the people of the opposite gender to find out which of these do I like. But you do give that up at a certain point. Well, you can voluntarily give up other things, and you do when you join the military. There are some things you give up, but you know that you don't give up? You don't give up your right to uh, uh, refuse a, a treatment that is untested, untried, and unapproved. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. And no one actually, no one can claim that the Biden administration has had to admit, well, of course we're not going to make anyone take a vaccine that hasn't been approved by the FDA. Um, now, they're lying about that because then they want to require you to take a vaccine which mm-hmm. does not have the correct label and is labeled, uh, 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 is a product that is labeled that is not approved. Happens, yep. Happened again and again. Eyewitnesses, multiple times, multiple people seeing it at the same time. Okay, so... That's something that we have to recognize. You do not give up your right to life within your that context. Yes, you may lay down your life and you may be ordered to do so, but that is different from being required to do something that is unconstitutional mm-hmm. in which you are required to lay down your life. You're not required to yield your core right to the freedom of speech, the freedom yep. to uh, practice your religion, your faith especially in the constitutional and historic sense. And you are not required to give up your right to hold your government accountable, to peaceably assemble and petition for redress of grievances. There is a focused effort to say that you give up all of these fundamental rights when you join the military, you become a mindless drone. Well, that is not true. And an increasing number of people are seeing that and going, there is a problem here. There's something wrong Mm -hmm. with this. This isn't working anymore. Um, And so... Um, our good friend uh, Asa Miller, uh, former Navy SEAL and uh, one of the primary voices in the up-and-coming SEALs Beat Biden documentary, which is nearly in post-production. We have nearly finished principal photography. Um, is uh, uh, recently wrote uh, an article. You can see it at republicsentinel.com, breaking down why do we see the rapidly declining trust in the military. Um, fantastic breakdown. If you care about what a young uh, warfighter says, uh, a young man who gave up a lot of things in order to become a SEAL and then was mm-hmm. nearly immediately drummed from the military for doing the things that a SEAL does, which is protect America and protect our Constitution, yeah. you'll, you'll enjoy uh, ACE's perspective for sure. Yeah, Zach, one of the things that was most shocking to me as I read uh, Ace's article, um, you know, based on those uh, the Gallup poll results, was that, you know, historically, Republicans have had a much higher uh, trust or confidence in the U.S. military um, over the past oh, 50 plus years. But uh, over just over the last three years, Republican trust 
in the U.S. military as an institution has decreased from 91% to 68% in three years. Mm-hmm. And independents saw a, a very similar decline from 68% to 55%. Uh, just mind-boggling. Here's the one that also really surprised me, though. Democrat confidence in the U.S. military increased over the last three years from 61 to 62%. So Democrats- How much? 61 to 61 62? 61 to 62. So very slight increase. But <laughs> but Democrats are actually seeing what has happened to the U.S. military over the last three years and somehow have more confidence in the U.S. military as an institution to, what, fight for our freedoms because now we've got more transgender people in the military? I, 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 it just doesn't add up. As a, political oper- as a political operative and a direct marketer, I feel compelled to point out that a one-point change in a 60-point base <laughs> well, is statistically insignificant. <laughs> it doesn't matter. That's within the but, margin but they of didn't, error. But it didn't drop, and that's the, right. That's kind and of that a surprising is the thing. Note. That, that is the thing to note. It didn't drop. Democrats still have well, as much confidence in the U.S. military now. Some of that you're looking to go, well, they're like, well, Democrats are in charge, so everything's everything. Obviously, everything's okay, right? That's How probably much part of, that of it. going on? Yeah. But then you look at it and go, are there really that many people in America who believe that the military should be used for social engineering and to bludgeon people into your own perspective over I mean, and above the national defense? When you have a population that has been indoctrinated since childhood um, in, in Marxist ideas, I guess it shouldn't be that surprising. Yeah. I think it is true. I'm not necessarily surprised. I'm a little bit incredulous because when you talk to, and of course that's obviously anecdotal, but the, our, our, our problem with polls is that, you know, you, you have the multiple reasons for why someone would say this, right? But there is unarguably a chunk of people who inescapably believe that that is actually true and that it's a good thing. It's a good thing to use people with guns and aircraft carriers mm-hmm. and nukes um, to enforce your political perspective or at least to support it yeah now, maybe enforce is too strong a word i will i will give that i i will amend that statement a little bit but we should use the military which is the primary arm of force and potentially violence um to support a political position okay mm-hmm. Th- that's a problem it's different from saying that, well, there is a perspective from which we come, right? Um, it's about forcing people to change their perspective, and that's what's going on. It happens again and again and again and again and again. Every time the left wants to force someone to change their perspective, they claim, well, it needs to be fair. It needs to be even keeled. It need, we need to level the field here. And then they immediately proceed to slanting the playing field. Yeah. It's dishonest. It's exactly what happened in Ohio yesterday or this week. You'll mm-hmm. see this. You'll be watching this show on Friday. So on Tuesday of this week, Ohio voted no on so-called issue one, which opponents said would block abortion. Here's the problem with this. You may have seen it. Now, obviously, the battle lines were drawn up around the abortion question, but you might be surprised to find out that that's not what issue one was about. Mm-hmm. Issue one was a somewhat esoteric change in how ballot questions will work in Ohio. In Ohio currently, and now still, um, a ballot question can pass with a simple majority. Now, I believe that's a problem, okay? There are, there is a legitimate place for um, certain elements such as constitutional amendments, things like that, but a ballot question is almost always a bad idea. 
um, because of the way it is very easily manipulated by by the side that has the most money. Yep. Um, people like to complain about how money corrupts politics. Um, it can. It it does in time at times. Um, not nearly as much in most places as in ballot questions. It is a lot harder to corrupt legislative politics with money. If you actually have elected representatives who each have to make their own decision based on what they perceive their district to want, it is much harder and much more work. Um, Mm -hmm. It takes more work than money. Um, I know this because I am, at my core, a legislative lobbyist. Worked in 40 states and in Congress, some of you know. when you can come in and run the equivalent of a Senate campaign, which can be done over a limited period of time, it comes mm-hmm. down to who can saturate the market first. Now, yep. at some point, you, you run out of things to spend money on, and it doesn't matter. But there is a nice chunk there where whoever has the most money is going, and if they can spend it effectively, is going to win. And then you have the added complexity of uh, the reality that whenever you have a ballot question, the simpler side will always win. And no is almost always the simpler side. Yep. Okay, that is reality. You have to overcome no very, very strenuously. So chalk one up to idiot Republicans in Ohio. That is exactly what's going on here. You have idiot Republicans yep. who looked at it and said, oh my goodness, there's going to be there are going to be problems here. Maybe it's an abortion amendment. Maybe it's something else. So let's hold a special election, which you've already said we don't like, and let's... Um, come up with an esoteric change, and that which, if we could change it, would make it more difficult to pass all ballot questions because it would move from 50% to 60% threshold to pass. You would mm-hmm. have to have a 60%, 60% plus to win. Yeah. Um, and now we're going to explain that because we're political geniuses as the way to keep abortion from being legalized in our state. Well, the problem is that you look like an idiot. And it's yep. really easy to show that, yeah, these people are lying to you. That's not about abortion. That's about a procedural change. And they're and that procedural yeah. change, they already said they didn't like. And now they're trying to use it because they hate women. And we yep. wake up the next morning and we go, oh, my goodness, I can't believe that abortion won in Ohio. Because that's what the media is telling us. We yeah. handed it to them on a platter. Yep. It's infuriating. It's absolutely infuriating. So please watch Ohio for our listeners, for our watchers. And... Um, learn one thing. Number one, ballot questions are not your friend. If you're from California and you want to support something that leans left, then you probably can do it. California is famous for adopting yeah. leftist ballot questions, right? And so everybody goes, well, if it works in California, it should work everywhere. Oh, my goodness. Gratefully not. Yeah, thankfully not. <laughs> um, you can look at some of the abortion stuff that's happened. There are four states, California, Vermont, um, um, Kansas was the one, and I'm forgetting the fourth left-leaning state. I can find it here. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, let's see, California, Michigan, Vermont uh, were yeah. the three left-leaning states that that passed a um, a pretty a hardcore ballot initiative. Uh, yeah. ballot initiative in the last cycle, legitimatizing abortion, mm-hmm. uh, legalizing it, so to speak. Although I would argue that you can't legalize, you can't truly legalize murder. You can remove the penalties for it and remove the prosecution, but you can't make it legal. Um, not really. So mm-hmm. these these states, okay, is anybody really surprised? No one's really shocked. No one should be shocked. No. Okay. Kansas is a weird, really weird, an odd duck. And in this state, everyone said, and I have lawyers who told me the same, I don't actually believe they're right, but they said we have to change the Constitution before we can do anything about abortion in Kansas. And so 
they had to try to remove the part of the Constitution in order to, and that's what they were trying to do. Well, yeah, you're mm-hmm. going to lose that because no is the automatic answer, and you don't have enough yep. money. That's what's going to happen. So that's what happened there. And then you have these really oddball things that happen in Kentucky and in Montana in which you have these limp-wristed fake pro-life laws, which instead of doing it the old-fashioned hard, you know, where it takes hard work, but you can actually mm-hmm. do it, we want the quick fix. We want the silver bullet. Well, we're just going to put it on the ballot, and because everybody's pro-life in this state, it will automatically pass. Well, guess what? No still wins. Yep. And so in Montana, the Born Alive Act, which they put on the ballot, which is one of the worst things to call pro-life. Now, look, I don't oppose saying that if someone's born alive, you should resuscitate them. But the problem is that by writing that, you're saying that it's okay to abort them. Just if you failed to kill them while you were aborting them, then you have to resuscitate them. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry, that's not, that's not that, pro-life. That, not even close. No, exactly. It's not even close. It's pitiful. It's ridiculous. And so it's limp-wristed. It doesn't do very much. It doesn't accomplish anything. It is symbolic at best. Are there a few people who will be saved? Yes. So is yeah, that a good thing? Sure. Then you have to look at the enforcement mechanism. Right. How are you going to enforce that? <laughs> exactly. And so guess what? It lost. It lost in Montana yeah. because, number one, it's hard to explain because it looks stupid. Yep. It does. It looks stupid. And number two, you don't because have as is? much money. Yeah, well, you don't I have mean, as much money. Yeah. You don't have as much money as Planned Parenthood. You're going to have trouble raising it, and you have to overcome no. Yep. That's your problem. Similar thing happened in Kentucky. The law Mm -hmm. wasn't quite as um, wrong-headed. I will admit that it's well-meaning, which is why there's a little nuance there. People are trying Mm -hmm. to do this, are honestly trying to end abortion, okay, for the vast majority. Are there people who run organizations who really, in their heart of hearts, don't want to see abortion end, even though they run a pro-life organization? Yes, there are. Unfortunately. there are, because their jobs will end. And and I'm not going to name any names. I have my suspicions. But look, Mm -hmm. I've I've worked in this field for 25, more than 25 years now. You kind of, you rub shoulders with these guys long enough, and you can tell, okay? Um, but the vast majority of people, that's not them. They are mm-hmm. honestly just trying to save some babies. And, if, and they get told that the way you could do that is by passing this ill-conceived law that says, well, as long as you resuscitate them after you tried to kill them, if you were unsuccessful the first time, well, you shouldn't call it the Born Alive Act. You should call it the Second Chance Act. you got one shot to kill your baby, and if you fail, well, that's it. you gotta, you got to keep it now. But isn't that what we're saying, right? So that's how, that's how foolish it was yeah. in, in, in Montana. Um, in Kentucky, it was a slightly better measure. Um, we don't have to get into the details on what it did. Um, but, uh, you know, the left says it would limit abortion excess. I, I'm not sure telling people that if <laughs> you only have one shot is a very serious limitation. But, yeah. yes, the other side, the pro-abort side is going to scream bloody murder if you tell them um, you have to maintain a cleanliness standard in these abortuaries that at least measures up to an urgent care. No, I, do I think that's a good idea? No, I think that is a terrible law. That is unjust. Yep. It is horrific to tell the, the, the populace that you can kill people as long as you do it with a clean tool. Um, yeah. Sorry, that doesn't work. But this is, this is what lost in Montana and Kentucky. Is anyone really surprised? Are we shocked? Are we horrified? I'm not. Yeah. And um, so this is the problem with... Um, number one, being absolute fools when it comes to politics. And unfortunately, those leading the pro-life movement right now are fools when it comes to politics, for the most part. I'm not saying that everyone is, but many of those, and I will say the National Right to Life, for example, is absolutely there. Yeah. 
without question. And unfortunately, there are people who follow it. Now, there are other organizations, and I could mention Students for Life, I could mention Live Action, who are not led by fools. There, we may have our differences, but I want to be clear about that. There's, I'm mm -hmm. sure there's another one that I'm not thinking of. Um, but until you get to the point of recognizing that there is a standard of justice here, and you can't just ignore it. You cannot just ignore um, what is just and say anything, anything that moves the ball down the field is going to get there and then expect to win because people are standing out here going, yeah, but babies are still dying and that's not actually helping. And we all know it. And we're tired of pretending that that's not the case. And, and the worst, I think, Zach, is, is when measures actually take a step of uh, take a step back and, and actually make things worse for well, claiming to make it better actually uh, abolishing abortion so if you start talking about measures that um you know the, these half-hardened measures or or you can do it after you know abortion ban before a certain time or after a certain time i guess you should say um you know does that actually help abolish abortion and, and does that help move the goalpost uh, move the, the ball down the field to the right. eventual abolition of abortion no, it goes the other way, and in many cases it does. And so, you know, the for those of us who got up this morning and said, oh, no, abortion won in Ohio. Well, okay, first of all, abortion didn't win in Ohio. Mm -hmm. um, maintaining a 50% threshold is what won. And then you had people who lined up and said, well, we want to pass an abortion, full access to abortion in Ohio, so we want to keep it at 50%. We had people line up saying, we want to stop that, so we want to raise it to 60 Okay, so the terms of the debate got changed a little bit there. That's fine. Yeah. In that sense, yes, the pro aborts won, but not according to the, you. Look at how people. What what is the normal voter in Ohio going to see? They're going to see an esoteric debate over whether or not it's fifty or sixty percent. Okay, that's yep. what's kind of going on here. Regardless of how strongly the people on the other side framed their discussion, most people didn't see your stuff. Okay, most people, if they did see it, muted it or fast forwarded it or threw it away without looking at it. Okay. Yeah. This is politics. That's how it works. It has to be very, very simple. It wasn't very simple. So guess what? Simple still won. Uh, I don't think it should go to fix 60% or I don't even know what this is about, which is the vast majority. No. Yeah. Um, no. Um, it's just like when your five-year-old comes up and is talking to you and you're trying to do something, you, it, what's the answer going to be? Well, it's, it's probably going to be no. Um, <laughs> that's, that's how that works. Okay. Mm -hmm. So take heart and look at this and say, okay, in order to win, you must have a deep respect for, for what you say you believe. And if you do not believe that justice is worth something, that there are at least some measures which are so insignificant or kind of productive as to be unworthy, um, which this is the problem with uh, the fake pro-life movement, the fake pro-life leadership is we keep, we keep being told that, that that really doesn't exist. Um, it's not going to work. You have to have some level of bravery to get something done, and it can't just be all ooze and squish. And then yeah. number two, oh, for the love of the Constitution, stop being an idiot in politics. Stop supporting things that obviously don't work and that have been tried again and again and again. And you're going to try it again because this time... This time, it will work. Well, well it's not it's real not. socialism, right? Yeah, right? It's never been really tried. This time, it'll work. We haven't done a real ballot measure yet. Just as dumb as, as the, uh, the socialists on the left that, you know, try and claim it's never really been practiced, never really been implemented. <laughs> right. This next and time, it'll really work. That's right. And then, ladies and gentlemen, take heart. Because, you know what, if we can change what we do, that means we can improve. That's the mm -hmm. goal. 
And so let's accept that they, things can be done better as a good thing, because that means we can impact the outcome and try again. There are good things happening. There are exciting things to be done. Let's go do them. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.